Hey there, welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. My name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bunch. I'm co-hosting the show with Anthony Rio, who is also my co-founder and our COO. We are on a mission to help anyone become a great leader. And together with our team, we're building an AI leadership coach to achieve exactly that. This podcast is for a new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or a company to learn about their journey and what they do in their day-to-day to be an effective leader. So no matter if you're leading a team already or simply interested in becoming more effective at work, you can build your leadership skills by investing as little as two minutes a day with our AI leadership coach. If you're curious, download it for free on the Apple App Store today by simply searching Bunch Leadership Coach. Your journey starts with a quick assessment of what kind of leader you are today, and then you will receive personalized daily leadership tips to help you grow faster into the leader you want to become tomorrow. Our guest in today's episode is Ryan Donovan, the CTO of Hootsuite. Hootsuite is one of the most popular social media management tools out there and a high-growth technology company currently employing over 1,000 team members all over the planet. We love talking to CTOs in general because engineering management is really one of a kind, but Ryan is no exception. He shares how Hootsuite tackled going remote and how to run powerful tactics like skip levels the right way. And we also got very real and dove into the leadership moments from Ryan's career that defined him and all of his lessons learned. This conversation is full of tactical advice for engineers, product people, engineering managers, or really anyone who's interested in learning what it takes to build successful tech and product teams. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Teams at Work by Bunch. Today, we're here with Ryan Donovan of Hootsuite. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Daria. Thanks so much for having me. It's super, super exciting to have you on the show because obviously Hootsuite, who doesn't know Hootsuite? Um, we actually use this on and off for a few years now. And I think it's obviously every time you work with social media, it's one of the standard tools in any marketer's toolkit. So really, really excited about that, but even more excited about the fact that we get to talk to you about your personal journey, your growth journey, and your leadership journey. Well, th- thanks so much. And I'm glad you've used our product. That's fantastic to hear. Absolutely. And hi, Anthony. Welcome back. Hey, Daria. Always glad to be here. And hey, Ryan, it's a pleasure to, pleasure to meet you. And, and I can't wait to dive into all those learnings and, and that experience. Let's kick it right off, Ryan. Actually, you had a super impressive career. Um, You worked for companies like Microsoft and Sitecore and now Hootsuite, and it's been plenty of years. What actually made you um, become a leader? So was this an intentional decision or do you think you kind of stumbled into it? And how did this um, leadership identity, let's call it, change over the years? Well, it was, actually, it was actually a particular moment in time. I, I had gone back to going down the technical track after, I'll say, my dot-com vacation, but I was working in Microsoft Consulting Services. We were having an annual planning meeting, and the sales leader of the West region literally in the meeting asked me to step up and lead the services team for the West region. That was literally how... I'll say my current leadership journey started. It was uh, it was an interesting challenge to be put on the spot like that, but I really had trust in her say? leadership. I, I said yes. I had trust in her leadership and uh, said yes. Uh, my boss apologized for putting me in the spot uh, in the room because uh, we were in services, separate division. I was like, nope, all good. Let's uh, let's do this. 
That's awesome. We have this uh, hashtag actually that we kind of coined a year ago when we launched the app and it was called Take the Lead and also the launch event was called Take the Lead. So I guess in that situation, you quite literally took the lead. Yes, it was, it was offered and I, it was offered and I took it. <laughs> Super amazing. I'd be keen. I'd be keen, Ryan, to understand when you said you trusted her leadership. What, what did you? What did you trust? What was it? What made you take the lead? What, what enabled you to to jump into that? I've been working with Gloria, who I consider to be a mentor and a friend, for you know uh, about the previous four or five months, and I'd really seen she's one of those rare sales leaders that really earns customers' trust and puts customers first, and it was really clear that you know if I worked with her, we'd have nothing but happy customers at the end of the day. And what, uh, what have you learned? What are your biggest learnings so far on this, on this uh, leadership journey of yours? Looking all the way back. Uh, I would say, if I had to pick one thing, I would say context matters. There's, you know, everything's there for a reason. There's a story behind everything. It's really important to get to know the story and the context, especially before you go to make change. Because, uh, you know, you have to bring people along for the ride and it's going to be much harder to do so if you don't have that context. And that's why I'm really not a fan of people that just march in and say, all right, here's my playbook. Uh, let's, let's just execute that playbook. You've got to understand how do things get to be the way they are. And, and uh, that's, that's great. And so I would love to, to dig into that a little bit more by asking, so what, what is your leadership style and how, how has that changed over the years? How would you describe uh, your leadership style is probably the better way to say that. I try to be a servant leader, which is really, you know, use my experience to figure out where we need to go, how we need to get there, but then bring people along for the bring people along for the ride, and that means adapting myself to whomever, uh, whomever the you know I'm working with to really get there. What's changed over the years is really I've learned that I've learned that people work and learn and operate in their own way and that I can't expect people to work the same way that I do. And that was one of my early kind of leadership mistakes was expecting people to just follow me and operate the same way that I did because everybody's unique. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, I think that the idea of serving, I think is a very big one in the newer understanding of leadership. Mm -hmm. So it's um, really interesting to see how, Lots of tech leaders in particular, I think, pick it up. And what one part of me also wonders whether it's, I, I find engineering teams and, and tech organizations are probably some of the like harder things to lead, even though, of course, it's kind of all, all can be challenging, but just simply because mm -hmm. it's complex roles, right? There's complex dynamics, lots of interdependence between tasks and people kind of needing to really work together, but at the same time, very many different characters and um, thankfully to the DNI um, uh, initiatives that we're all taking, um, even more characters and even more diverse working styles and thinking styles. And um, to bring that all together is definitely, um, I think servant leadership plays a, plays a big role. I actually have a follow-up question on this. Um, talking about behaviors, because I think one part of the definition of leadership here at Bunch as well is um, leadership is kind of like being able to impact yourself and others in a positive way. So how would you describe behaviors that you think are great examples of servant leadership that actually help you personally to impact you and your surroundings in a positive way? What do you do on a regular basis? 
So uh, one of the things, so I do a couple things. One is I spend a lot of time having skip levels. So, you know, talking to various people throughout the, or, you know, organization that don't report to me directly. I think that's a great way to stay in touch with what's going on. The other thing I do, and this is especially new since COVID is having open forum roundtables. So try to meet with every, uh, every work group within my organization, at least once a quarter, uh, realizing I've got a team of 500. So that means there's a lot of people. So there's a lot of work groups. Uh, you know, just do that. Just it, people can talk any, ask me anything they want to talk about. It can be corporate strategy. It can be something within their division. It can be something about po- our policies. It could be asking about dogs or cameras or other fun stuff, but just letting people get a chance to speak their minds. So between the roundtables and Skip levels, that's just something we do. I uh, tried to do to really stay in touch with the organization at all levels. And I bring, obviously, my other leaders to those uh, roundtables as well, so we all get a chance to hear what's going on and what's top of mind for people in their various teams. Super nice. I actually was listening to or reading, <laughs> I was reading uh, um, the transcript of uh, an interview that you did I believe it was with IDG Connect. Um, and mm-hmm. you called yourself a product general manager CTO. Tell us a little bit more about that. And I would love to kind of also get your take on what does actually product management mean in today's world and how did that change? And what do you think are challenges of product managers today? No. So, you know, I, I lead both the product and engineering functions here. And so at the end of the day, the accountability for anything to do with product Uh, or in technology really lies with me. And, and that's, and that's what I mean by that, by that comment. I'm not leading just engineering. I'm not leading just product. I've got responsibility for both. And I think that, you know, one of the inherent challenges in that, that anyone that's in my role, whether they're doing it as a dedicated product leader, such as myself, or if they're a CEO that's managing both product and engineering is you really have to balance the, Uh, technical evolution of a platform with you know customer value and so like for example as we go through our planning our various planning cycles there's a lot of debate around where that where that line is going to fall and really trying to keep both in balance uh, and not over indexing one direction or the other and that's i think one of the inherent challenges of it to make sure that we can Get, for example, our quarterly commitments, but also still make sure that we're investing in longer-term initiatives that's really going to help the product and the platform be where they want to be uh, over time. I have a follow-up on this as well. It's a bit of a nerdy one, but um, you just mentioned that the, the, the tension field between kind of the targets that we all strive to hit on like a more regular short-term basis, like monthly and quarterly, and um, of course, the, the investments that we want to make in our products and infrastructure as well so that it's um, become so stays flexible and stable. Do you have any like lessons learned, best practices on that topic in particular? I know that lots of product and tech leaders struggle with addressing, preventing and managing tech debt and product debt. Um, yeah, tell us your bullet the points try- if there are any. <laughs> The, the best, the, the, it's, uh, I'll say it's more of an art than a science, to be fair. And context, again, context matters. You really, have to, you really have to get into it. But the one principle I found that's been very useful is what I call the hood open syndrome. So if you're going to do something 
Uh, if you're going to, for example, make a major feature investment in an area, that's a good opportunity to try and retire your tech debt while the hood's open on that particular area. So really kind of try and group, you know, technical activities with, I'll say, major customer value investments and see what you can do to do both at the same time. That's super awesome. Thank you so much. It's super actionable. And I actually, while you were speaking already... Um, had realizations where we can apply that. Um, I'm sure our audience will appreciate. Thank you. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, that's, the, that's the benefit of having been doing this for many, many, many years. So back to the back to the flip side, Ryan. I agree with Daria on that one. That's a, that's um, I'm sure that's going to be a buzzword uh, that people take away from the podcast. But back to back to I guess your story. Um, where, where do you still find yourself um, investing in your growth? Like, where do you want to grow, and maybe what do you still find challenging? So I don't think the job is ever done when it comes to figuring out how to relate to people and build the right relationships with them. And I think that <clears throat> this is becoming more important, especially as Generation Z enters the workplace, because the way they look at the world is very different than millennials, which is very different from Gen X. And so really being able to build those empathetic connections is something that I find myself the job is never ever remotely done what are you noticing in, in hootsuite today with the new generation coming in and are you are you still remote by the way or are you back to the office we are a bit we're a bit of both so we've reopened most of our offices around the globe outside of those that are particularly hard hit regions from covid but their capacity their capacity constrained that being said we've got you know <clears throat> i'll say one cohort that really wants to be in the office uh then we've got, I'll say that that's a minority cohort. Then we've got folks that really are viewing the office more as a destination for team events and get-togethers and collaboration, but want to be kind of remote first. And then we've had a lot of people that have gone fully remote because, you know, they live in higher-cost markets. They're, they had lived in higher-cost markets, and now they want to take advantage of being distributed to, you know, <clears throat> upgrade their lifestyle by moving, say, and we had a lot of people move out of downtown Vancouver, either, you know, down south to like Surrey and Delta, White Rock, or up north to Squamish or out west to Vancouver Island because <clears throat> the cost of housing there they could, represented a significant lifestyle upgrade just from what they could get in downtown Vancouver. So instead of being, say, 15, 20 minutes from work now, maybe they're two, an hour to two hours from the office and, uh, will be remote several days a week, but then just come in for like team events. And so I think that's been good. I also think that one of the other benefits of going to distributed is we've been able to hire folks in other markets that, you know, in other locations such as Calgary or Ottawa or New Brunswick that we've been able to get talent that we otherwise would have not just not had access to. So that's helped kind of diversify our workforce and help us get some new and interesting perspectives Coming in, so I think the I think the distributed na nature of COVID is actually a benefit, at least to technology employers. That you know, where you've got the digital infrastructure to do, you know, to have build operate this way. And then with the millennial and Gen Z mindsets coming in, what have you what have you uh, what have you seen sort of take place? Or so I'd say I'd say that people are much more socially conscious than uh, in newer generations than they have been. It's no longer just a job, politics, you know, 
uh, is in, in work are quite separate. People are very concerned about, you know, societal impact and, uh, and, uh, concerned about societal impact and making sure that their work actually does contribute to society in a positive way. And so that's why we as a company have invested really heavily, such as in a partnership with Benevity for Hootsuite for Good to help get back to social causes, supporting volunteer efforts, things like that because I think that's something that people care a lot more about now than in the workplace than they did five or 10 years ago. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing either. (laughs) I was just following up on my own curiosity on this. Actually, do you have ideas on why that is? Because I, I totally can relate and I agree with this so much. I actually like in so many conversations I've been talking to people about like how we, kind of as humanity with each generation are actually caring more and more about like the greater good, it seems to a degree, or at least on the surface, that kind of is the, the direction and we take more responsibility and become more accountable. But I, I find it interesting to hear your, your kind of explanation for it. And if you would agree with that. Yes, no, I, th- I think, I think that, I think that's spot on. I think that, you know, I think people care a lot more than they did. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing, but it does also introduce other complications such as like who you do business with, et cetera. As a leader, it means that you have to focus on values and culture a lot more than you probably did in the, in the past. And that's something that's been, you know, a journey and a learning experience, quite frankly, for myself, my peers and, you know, the leaders of my team to, you know, adapt, ad- adapt to this, you know, kind of change in perspective. And my last question on this actually is, and um, being kind of one of the first millennials, I already have this feeling around like, oh my God, this Gen Z generation, I can't relate to them anymore. They're so different and I need to stay on top of things somehow to like, um, yeah, just build relationship with the new generation. Do you have any tips or hacks there for anyone kind of leading different generations? How do you relate to people from a different time? I think listening and being empathetic is what's really uh, is what is what's really matters. That's why, like as we've gone distributed, we you know I invest so much time in skip levels and in roundtables because that listening really does matter. It's a significant time commitment. You know, especially when things get busy, it makes it difficult to keep it up. But I still do because I think that's how you that's how you relate is by getting to know people, getting to listen, understand their perspectives. And, uh, and that's how you build relationships is just investing the time. And you have to do that one way or the other. And now that we're not in the office and you can't have those like lunchtime or coffee or, you know, kitchen conversations where you're all queuing up the coffee machine, you've got to invest the time some other way. Ryan, I was just literally about to ask you about that, and you've queued it up perfectly because sometimes we hear our users um, um, mention this, that, you know, um, there, there was, I mean, and, and it's sort of mainstream nowadays. We've been sort of, the world's been forced remote now for over a year, year and a half now. And um, I don't think it's the, it's not the newest insight. However, I do think it's aging and becoming a little bit, it's we're getting more insight or more depth into it. We hear sometimes that because people are remote, it's harder to have that. It's harder to have that um, knowledge exchange. It's not even about necessarily, I guess, that trust that you have to 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 to, to reinvest in or invest in more. But also, even on the like, um, and I guess this is what you're trying to accomplish with the roundtables and the skip levels on the just helping each other grow aspect. Um, 
it's tougher remote because you're, you're usually on Zoom for calls and those calls are 30 minutes and they're blocked, right? And you're on for some reason. And I guess if that reason isn't, if that reason isn't, hey, I'm here to help you grow and help you take a specific soft skill and, and invest in it, then it's really easy to just skip out on that. And so we, you know, we've been investing in it on our end and we have a feature set coming out to help people exchange that knowledge remotely. But um, I'm interested to um, hear your perspective on that because you queued it up just perfectly. You don't have those water cooler moments, but it's again, not even about the water cooler moment. It's about the, just the easiness of transferring knowledge when you're in the office. And I guess that's sort of part of remote, right? Yeah, this is where I think technology is also helping to fill the void. And this is why, you know, you see instant messaging apps and collaboration tools really exploding right now. So like, for example, the two tools we use for collaboration is uh, Slack, obviously. We use that, that, that creates, you know, tons of instant messaging opportunities, sometimes maybe a, a bit too much, uh, you know, like, uh, it's, it's really interesting to see how much our use of that tool has increased since going remote. And the other one, I think, is the notion of a virtual whiteboard. So, for example, we use a tool called Miro, and uh, that's the, the adoption of that has just skyrocketed since COVID because it gives you that nice way where everyone can be drawing on the same board at the same time, even if there's you know two dozen people in there to really kind of help collaborate so uh, that's where technology i think has helped fill some of the voids because like yeah we use slack before it really wasn't a thing like it is now like the usage just wasn't even remotely comparable but that's how you get a lot of those kind of point to point just hey what about this or i'm debugging this and i need help type of conversations and Miro's really kind of replaced the whiteboard in the conference room can i ask a question on Slack comms. I kind of felt <laughs> there is uh, some mixed mixed feelings about it, which I totally share. We talk about this with Anthony every day. We're mm -hmm. like, what are we going to do about? So we're going to introduce some Slack free hours, Slack free days. Something's got to happen with this chat mess that takes people ages to get um, on top of when they start their days, and it just doesn't seem like the most effective way anymore. What is your take on this? Do you have any any vision on like what? may happen with this type of communication how we can make it less noisy yeah right? we're learning we're learning as we go from a slack perspective like we ended up i think uh, uh we'll be interesting to see where we land with this we ended up pushing all of corporate communications into slack i think for those that were using slack uh for instant messaging and I'll say other real time notifications that probably re resulted in message overload for them so we're probably we're we're actually surveying our employees and we'll adapt based on what they tell us. But my personal take is that I think Slack is a great notification system. I think it's great for kind of one-on-one -on -one instant real-time messages. I think adding other corporate structured comms to it might make the messaging overload that might, might help you reach the messaging overload point. So that's my personal take. Uh, but we're figuring this out as a company. And, you know, like by being good, empathetic leaders, we're letting our employees kind of tell us where we've gotten it right and gotten it wrong. And the journey is still TBD. It might be a, might be a good topic for the future to see where we end up with this. <laughs> right. But we're definitely learning as we go. As are we, and I think as is the world in a lot of ways. There was an amazing uh, LinkedIn post the other day by some guy. I wish I could. I wish I knew his name. I wish I remembered his name. He said, "Slack is an all-day meeting without an agenda." 
is basically what it is. <laughs> and I thought that was a really good way to sum it up. And I think Daria and I do talk about it all the time, even just even the small team that we are. Um, you, I think it's very easy, like a lot of things, just to overuse it. But I think um, I think what I've heard is is you know keep it keep it keep it for the real time stuff, and all the other stuff is um, maybe the more formal stuff deserves another outlet, maybe similar to the learnings you're making. Um, yeah. Whereas you just need to be really intentional about it. And I guess that goes for everything nowadays. But I mean, most things, generally speaking, but particularly when you're forced into a new a new uh, a new world like we have been. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'm going to no. bring us back to the uh, to the deeper ends of the conversation. Um, it's one of my personally favorite questions that we like to ask our guests because it typically reveals very personal moments, but also kind of showcases that no one's career is uh, easy and a straight line. Um, if you look back at all these years with all these different teams and organizations, tell us about the, it, it, it can be one or maybe there is, a few the most difficult moments you had to face as a leader? Uh, I'd say for me, it was when I was working for Ascentium right after the acquisition of Cactus Commerce. Uh, the the Ascentium was a digital agency uh, that had grown through a bunch of acquisitions. They hadn't dealt with those acquisitions. And then uh, there was a leadership transition where I found myself you know, promoted battlefield promoted to co-president running the U S agency and the software division, as well as being global CTO. And, uh, you know, I had to restructure a business to get it back to growth and profitability very quickly. Uh, did the best I could broke a lot of glass in the process and we got to where we needed to get, get to, but there was definitely, I'll say a wake of destruction because I hadn't run an agency at that particular point in time, learned a ton from it, became a good, a better leader over time as a result of it. But I think everybody gets those moments where they're pushed rapidly outside of their comfort zone and you have to make the best of it. And you know, what I tried to do at the time was just let people know it's like, okay, I'm a CTO that's now running a digital agency. You know, you're going to have to bear with me as we go, as we go through it. And you know, I think what worked well for me, despite lots of challenges, was just being very clear about why I was making the decisions I was making and saying, like, for example, as we were restructuring, like, here's what accepted industry benchmarks are, and we're making these changes to get ourselves in line with these benchmarks. And it's not personal, it's not emotional, it's not picking favorites. It's like, we're just doing this because this is the benchmark. And we're not there and we have to make you know deep changes to actually get there and on a personal level do you find it difficult from a perspective of kind of like disappointing people or do you find it difficult because you know that there is like a a challenging moment or situation that this creates on the other person's end or what's what makes it hard actually I think what makes it hard is you know you're going to be disappointing people because you're going to be making changes that they're not going to like, they're not going to agree with. And it really comes down to how can you bring them along the journey as best as possible. And they're realizing there's always a better way to connect with people and get them bought, bought in. But sometimes time's not on your side and the decisions need to get made. And, uh, and you're not going to be able to bring people along for the ride. And I think that's that's the hardest part of leadership is trying to find that balance. And when you look back on, on 
that time in particular and in general kind of challenging moments you had, what are the top learnings that you took away? You mentioned that you definitely uh, learned a lot and, and became better for it. How do you think that changed you? I think the, the I think the key learning and takeaway is that when you're making difficult decisions or difficult changes, it's explaining the why to people. And sometimes you get it right, and sometimes they'll agree. Sometimes they'll partially agree. Sometimes they won't agree. But you've got to you've got to go through the why. And I think the the way to get through the why in the most effective way possible is to just make it as unemotional and data-driven as possible. You know, revert to, you know, Star Trek's in the news a lot with Mr. Shatner's flight to space yesterday. But, you know, I'll say, go for the Mr. Spock moment. It's all about, uh, it's all about the data and saying, all right, this is, this is the industry benchmark. And we're here. We need to get to there. And, uh, and that's why. And just back it up with data. Because data takes the emotion out of things. And so, as I've learned over the years, the more data you can bring to the table, the easier the, dis the tough discussions get. Also, very actionable advice. Thank you. I also, I also wanted to to pull us back to one comment you made, Ryan, just there. I mean, a couple a couple of comments ago, you said battlefield promoted. Uh, HBR, HBR, just um, I don't know if it's a new article or if they're re-promoting it or something like that, but I just saw it in my feed today, which was, um, if you want to learn how to lead, find a low risk environment. And I think obviously that's sort of like generally speaking, find a place to practice. And this idea of practicing before you're actually put um, in the game, I think. Um, is, is, a, is a concept, to be honest, that's at top of mind for me all the time, because we're a startup, you're kind of always in the game. And which means mm -hmm. you're kind of, you're not, you don't, you're learning as you go. And I guess you're trying to almost minimize damage in that sense, or, or broken glass, as, as you said, but this idea of battlefield promoted, you just, it's, it's, it's there, it's in front of you. Um, you don't really have a choice, you kind of need to, um, you kind of need to just grab it. Um, do you, what do you think when you look at your organization of 500 people? Is this something that, um, is available to them? Are they able to jump on these things? Or, or do you have a place where they can actually practice in low risk environments and then kind of move into the game? How do you, how do you look at that? So I think, I think what we do at Hootsuite, we've got this notion of a stretch program, which is basically a day a week to take on an assignment completely outside of your job. We run it every quarter and this gives people a safe space to go try something uh, completely, di completely different and outside of their comfort zone. And this is what's really uh, this is what's created a lot of opportunities where people have like moved from support into customer success and then from there into product, uh, et cetera, or, you know, people going from like development into data science. Uh, it's promoted some really good cross-functional things by giving people that safe space as a larger organization. I think we've got the luxury of doing it. That being said, if you really want to challenge yourself, go to work for a small organization because then there's uh then that you know, all of a sudden, you're going to have to become a jack of all trades and a master of all trades very quickly. Like when I left Microsoft to join Cactus, you know, it was what I thought about at the time was like I need to work in a company where it's not monopoly money and it's real money. And uh, and uh, yeah, what I learned from going from you know one of the biggest and most successful technology companies in the world to a smaller uh, Canadian company was that you know was that kind of reality check, and it 
grew me in lots of ways I never would have grown had I just stayed at Microsoft. And that was part of what influenced my decision to go do that was, you know, I could have stayed at Microsoft, was on a very good track there, but said I needed to go challenge myself and just, and just learn something, a completely different reality. I love that. I love that personally. I think you have to, you, ha you, you learn the most when the stakes are high, but I think that's also when, um, when the stakes are real, I guess, not stakes are high. When the stakes are actually real, it's not monopoly money. I think that's, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. When you talk to um, younger crew at Hootsuite that works in the, the tech and product uh, organization and they ask you, what do you think um, do I need to have as a leader to be successful uh, now that you've done this for a few years? What would you tell them? So first of all, I think you need to, the, one of the conversations I think is really important is why do you want to be a leader? Is that actually the right path for you versus do you want to be the absolute best at what you do? So, for example, one of the things we've just done is we've extended our uh, technology career track to the point that you can get up to as an engineer uh, vice president level without actually being a people leader. And we've actually highlighted as a career showcase our most senior developer who's got 35 years of experience uh, showing that you don't necessarily need to be a leader to get to a certain level. And so to me, the most important conversation is, why do you want to be a leader? If you think it's because you need to do it to get promoted or more money, I really want to steer people of going down that path because I've seen so many people in my career that have gone down leadership paths because they thought it was the only way to getting promoted and a bigger paycheck. And that's not the case. And uh, versus really taking, encouraging those that truly have a passion for people and for leadership and making sure those are the people that are going into leadership roles and that they're doing so for the right reasons. I think that's actually the most important thing to think about. And I, you know, as I think about, giving advice to smaller emerging companies, my thing would be think about that dynamic and making sure that you're promoting people for the right reasons versus finding ways to reward them as becoming, you know, masters of the craft. It's super interesting. We just had um, a conversation actually on, on our end as well, um, kind of drawing out the, Aesop tables for the future and things like that. Otherwise, this is the moments when you as a startup get to talk about hierarchy like levels. <laughs> Your investors tell you, let's talk about this Aesop program that you have. We kind of need to <laughs> systematize it a little bit and introduce levels and kind of have more transparency. And so we actually, um, I, I had this thought just yesterday and, and today we actually chatted within the team as well about this that we, yeah, it's it still feels that if you are a specialist in engineering, for instance, but there's, of course, other specializations to data science, et cetera, um, that you kind of still always have this feeling that in order to like really make it in an organization and really have impact and influence, you kind of have to go into the management track. And I think what you just described is actually such a great opportunity to really not only, I think many companies offer similar levels when it comes to compensation and when it comes to um, yeah, like ESOP, et cetera. But I think what, what you just described also has the actual reputational layer, which means like you're called VP as well, not just the person that actually has the teams that they're leading, um, which I think is really interesting, actually. It's a really cool approach. 
Yeah, no. <clears throat> the larger tech companies get this right, but they don't talk about it very much. And I think it's something that smaller organizations need to take really seriously so that you know, people are moving into leadership roles for the right reasons uh, because it's something they truly care about and are passionate about versus the idea, that's just a means to a promotion. I would love to hear more, Ryan, about when you're coaching. I would love to hear more about the right reasons, basically. So when you're coaching young engineers or, or product people and they're saying, hey, Ryan, um, um, I'm thinking about management. Like, what are the questions you ask them and how do you dig into those reasons? And, and we, we had a really interesting discussion, by the way, about this with Ellen from Calm, who's the director of engineering over there. And she was, she said the same thing as you. She said, this is arguably one of the most important things to dig into when you, when you grow a, any team, but I think an engineering team specifically. So I'd love to hear more about your approach. So for me, it comes down to day in the life. How do you want to be spending your time? What do you want to be doing? Because if you're going to go down the leadership approach, you're going to be spending most of your time focusing on people, process, culture, things like that. And if that's not what floats your boat, then because you'd rather be solving incredible technical problems or you know, having that breakthrough, then this isn't how you, this isn't how you're going to want to spend your time. So to me, it's having those day in the life conversations about what does this really mean to be good? And is that what your passion is? Because if your passion isn't about people, then uh, leadership isn't probably the right track for you. And, you know, some people can figure this out through conversations. Some people have to try it and then go back the other way around. But you also need to create a safe environment where you can say, uh, you can say, all right, the, if this doesn't work, then uh, you can go back. So, for example, like if I go back to my, my analogy where I was asked to step up and lead professional services for the West region, my boss, I'm David, I was very grateful to him at the time because he said, all right, I'm going to give you one to two quarters to try this out. And if you don't like it or it doesn't work out, you can go right back to being a senior architect and uh, absolutely no regrets. And so, you know, I tried it out for three months, loved it, was doing well with it, loved it, said, okay, this is, I found my new passion. There's no going back, but I really appreciated the fact that he gave me that, uh, you know, that uh, outlet valve that if I tried this out and went, this is uh, uh, really not what I want, then, uh, uh, you know, I had that option. And I think that as leaders, when we, you know, introduce leadership opportunities to people, you've got to give them that option, both up, you know, up front initially, but also even over time, you know, be able to check in with them. That's why I think it's important that you have to have both tra both tracks because, you know, somebody could be in a leadership role for 18 months and go, you know what, this just isn't working out one way or the other and give them the opportunity to go back to becoming a master of his or her crafts. Speaking of um, being passionate about people management, you mentioned a few times that it's really important to you to listen to people, to reconnect with them, to constantly hone your craft around building relationships. I can imagine empathy plays a big role for you. I think you've mentioned it in a couple of interviews as well. How do you make sure that people on your teams, whether it's direct reports, um, or just in general, people in your organization actually build empathy towards each other? I think it comes down to investing the time. 
And just at the end of the day, this is all about a time investment and making sure that people are spending the time that uh, is required that is required to you know to listen, build those relationships. And you know, so one of the things I check in with with my leaders are: Are you investing the time in your teams and in your people? And uh, making sure that that percolates down throughout the organization. And so, uh, to me, it's a big time commitment, but absolutely necessary. I think when it comes to kind of enabling others on on empathy, I personally experience that I'm, I think, sometimes struggling with the why, (laughs) because I tend to approach this, like, that conversation the same way as you described earlier, like bring the data. And I actually tried that being a psychologist, of course, I'm like, if we're more empathetic with each other, it's just going to flow better because then we will be more effective with each other and so on and so on. And that didn't really land. So (laughs) do you have any tips on like, how do you actually build awareness? Um, Maybe, and and this is probably, I'm imagining more someone like an engineer. So not necessarily probably your direct reports because I can't imagine they're, Time is probably the main challenge, but let's think about younger engineers, someone who is in their role for like one to two years and kind of focuses on the task at hand and um, doesn't realize necessarily immediately that it's all about people in tech in the end. How do you help build that awareness? I think it's really about uh, understanding the why, the why are we here? What are we doing? And this requires communicating the same thing over and over and over again in many different ways to adapt to different people's learning and communication styles. And so, you know, I, do, do I feel like where we are, where we need to be? The, the answer is will be never because this job is never, ever, ever done. But I think if you're doing well, anybody can on your team will be able to say, all right, here's our corp, here's our, corporate strategy, here's our product strategy, and here's how my role contributes to actually achieving it. And if you've done that, then, uh, and if everybody, if the majority of your workforce can answer those questions, then you've, you've by and large been successful. And this is something that Hootsuite we've really struggled with because until recently, we've really had a hard time coming to alignment on, you know, even what our corporate strategy is, what are the customer segments and problems that we're going to solve? We've now got there. So now we're, you know, we're in the process of building. How do we realize that? And then telling that story as many different ways as possible so that people connect with it. But like when I was leading teams at Microsoft, everyone knew what Microsoft's mission was and then how they were contributing to making that successful. Awesome. Well, um, Big one, big one as we approach the end here, Ryan. This is one that we always ask. Um, and this is sort of our, our favorite question in that sense, although I think they're all, they're all good and they're all helpful. But um, you, you started the interview or you started the, the show um, mentioning context and sort of that being like, I guess, looking back the biggest, the biggest, I guess, learning, if you will, or something like that or insight, right? Now, it's sort of looking back at Ryan, who's just starting out his management or leadership career. Sometimes they're used synonymously, but very different things, right? What are some of like the tips? I mean, if if it's context related or otherwise, what are some of the tips you would give yourself looking all the way back? Uh, I would say if I I were to give give myself advice for rolling back the clock 20 plus years, I would say listen a lot more than I did versus, yeah, that, that was probably the number one advice I give myself, my past self. 
any any methods or anything like that you would say listen that's that's those are the i guess the skills or the tangibles i would i would transport yeah and, and this is like interview <clears throat> become a good interviewer uh ask lots of questions pick apart why things are the way they are and uh, versus you know where you want to take them versus just walk in with a with a firm opinion and start acting and what what is the um, I'm only asking because I'm also trying to be a good listener. Obviously, what is if what what have you what have you realized is on the other end of that? If you would do that more, what is the benefits for you, the team, the organization? I think that you'll build you'll build a lot more buy-in because if you understand why things are the way they are, <clears throat> you'll be able to as you go as a leader as you go to start making change, you can then put things into context or perspective for people <clears throat> by by you know, once you've understood their point of view versus just walking in and start making changes. I think this is the, the second to last. Also a good one. The opposite of the question I asked a few minutes ago, I think where I asked about the hardest moment, what was, you think, your greatest achievement? I know those are big words, but like when you look back, what are you most proud of? <clears throat> well, at the end of the day, I... I, I would say as a leader, I have to look at how people that I've led have been very successful in their own careers. And so some of those people I still work with that followed me through multiple companies, other people that have gone off and done really impressive things. Uh, you know, those are, I think, really the highlight. If you really look at that, you, 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 back away from the corporate accomplishments like yes i've had several successful exits in the market etc but really as a leader it's not only being able to achieve those but look at who have you brought along for the ride and where are they and how are they you know uh growing thriving flourishing uh and sometimes that means you know having to say goodbye to somebody along the way so that they can go on and take on a much bigger opportunity or else helping them find a personal destiny that really resonates for them. Of course, couldn't find the mute button. <laughs> um, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's kind of when you are in the startup game, I, I can relate to that as well, when there is lots of ups and downs and sometimes things work and sometimes they don't. But I always like to kind of think about the people that worked with us and, and kind of like went on to found their own companies and, we actually just had a recent uh, example of, of a former Bunchy uh, going and starting his own startup, which is now, I think, the same size as our team, right? I believe. So I can totally relate to that. I think it's um, mm -hmm. the impact on the people you work with that in the end counts the most. And, of course, the customer value. Um, I think I'm out of questions. All right. How about you, Anthony? I think we've covered so much ground, Ryan, and your answers are so concise. Um, are there any questions you have for us? That's something that I think is always important. No, it's been a great conversation. Hits on lots of really good topics uh, for leaders, you know, uh, present as well as future. That's the goal. Wisely said. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. And for everyone listening, we truly hope you chime in again with our next episode. And we'll be linking ryan's linkedin profile as well so you can check out um, a little bit about his journey and thank you so much for yeah not only spending the time but most importantly of course reflecting being open and sharing so much insight awesome no thanks so much for having me it was a genuine pleasure and an honor to, uh, to be here today
Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let us know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at Daria Gutnick and at Anthony A. Rio. Or simply follow Bunch at Bunch underscore HQ. And don't forget, subscribe if you like the episode, because we always have interesting guests who join us and share valuable knowledge as well as actionable advice. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch. At the beginning of the show, we did mention that we're building an AI leadership coach that helps you level up as a leader in just two minutes a day. Check us out on the Apple App Store and simply search Bunch Leadership Coach to find it. Try it out and let us know what you think. And that's a wrap. We are your hosts, Daria Gutnick and Anthony Rio, and we're excited to speak with you all soon. Till next time.